John's Gospel in chapter 1. John chapter 1, a very familiar passage as we consider the incarnation of the Son of God. The idea of incarnation simply means the enfleshment of the Son of God. The Word become flesh. And uh, this is uh, the, uh, uh, the highlight that John gives here of in his prologue. The prologue is like a, 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 a taste of what we're going to see throughout the rest of the, uh, uh, the book. And I often say it's like a movie trailer. It, it, it really sums up all the, the uh, defining moments of the movie so that you know what to expect, what kind of movie it's going to be. And John does that right here. He gives us all the constituent parts of the gospel itself. Who is this person that he is proclaiming? And what is he calling forth? And that is faith in him because he is the the Son of God. And uh, I want us to look particularly at verses 9 to 13. 9 to 13. The true light which lightens everyone was coming into the world... He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And uh, uh, this morning, I, I uh, as you can see in your bulletin, I... I entitled it the, the Tragedy and Triumph of Christmas. And anyone who is a, 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 a Christian, uh, by that I mean a, a, a true believer in the Lord Jesus, there are many people who are Christian in name only, but I'm talking about those who truly have been born again of God's Holy Spirit and know, have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, they can... they while they celebrate this time of year very gladly, yet they do so with a sense of, of uh, sadness as well. Not the sadness that we typically associate with in the middle of the winter, the kind of winter blahs, but a sadness in the sense that so many people around, including family members or neighbors or friends, and maybe even people in their own church, who don't understand and don't really see what the meaning of Christmas is, and it while you you while we celebrate the coming of the Son of God into the world, yet we do so with a, a heaviness of heart because we long to see uh, uh, people seeing and understanding what we have come to see and understand, and that was no less true with Jesus Himself, uh, who was called uh, a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And uh, that is encapsulated in this section that we're looking at in terms of the fact that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. And that is something that goes on on a regular basis uh, around the world. On any given Sunday. Not just a, 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 you know the Sundays before Advent and Christmas, the Christmas season but all throughout the year. There's always this, uh, these two groups of people, those who believe and those who reject, those who see and those who remain blind. 
And John, with such a, an amazing economy of words, uh, is able to, uh, to sum all of that up in a very short section. I mean, you could spend ages unpacking just this prologue, just unpacking what um, John says in these uh, few words. Uh, but John is able to say a great deal with very few words. And, and so we want to see what God uh, has done and what the response of people has been. We marvel at the person that John is talking about here. John leaves us with no uncertainty at all as to who this person is that he is going to be talking about. He begins, as you know, in verse 1, by drawing a straight line from Jesus back to Genesis chapter 1. He doesn't put Jesus beneath God, or he doesn't put Jesus on the par with uh, uh, every other religious leader down through the centuries. He, he draws a direct line from Jesus Christ to the God of Genesis 1.1, who said, in, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what John is doing is saying, this God is the one who now has become a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. He lives, he dies, he rises again. And you just can't miss that. Even from, uh, even from a literary point of view, say if you were just studying this as a, as a regular piece of literature, say. If you were just looking at it, not as a religious uh, uh, document, even just from a, a literary point of view, say for, the, for argument's sake, this was just an ordinary novel that someone wrote. Well, even if you were reading it at that level, you would be compelled to say that this person, this Jesus of Nazareth, is... God that he is talking about. He's drawing a direct line between Jesus and the God of the uh, Old Testament. But we see it as more than simply a piece of literature, don't we? We see it as divine revelation come from God. We're able to say confidently this morning that it is the Word of God. And, and, and yet that message that we often hear spoken of this time of year, is met with uh, uh, either one of two responses, belief or unbelief, no matter how much the world embraces the Christmas season. Uh, they do so at arm's length. They do so uh, uh, still rejecting the very thing that they are, on the, on the one hand, embracing. And uh, so John is highlighting this. And you we ask, well, how can people embrace something so vigorously and yet reject it at the same time? 
Our neighbors, our friends, our family, maybe even some of you have a wonderful time, enjoy the Christmas season and so on, and yet there is something profound missing in your life. You can, John unfolds that as he goes through his gospel. That there were people, and we see early on in chapter 3 with this man called Nicodemus, he embraced a great deal of the Jewish religion. He was a, a, a man of, of learning. He was a, a Pharisee, which means that he was of the highest order in the Jewish faith. He memorized, he would have had the whole of the Old Testament basically memorized. He was a moral man. He, he knew his Old Testament. He knew the stories. If if anyone wanted to point to a moral upstanding man in the community, it was Nicodemus. So in many ways, he is like, like a lot of modern people today who embrace so much about the Christmas season, but they don't embrace the one of whom Christmas is about. That's why Jesus says, you search the Scriptures. You know the Scriptures. You wear them on your head. You wrap them around your wrist. But you don't know the one of whom the Scriptures speak. He says, for it speaks of me. Moses wrote of me. And yet you not only reject me, but want to kill me. I mean, Jesus is, is showing how far people can go in embracing something and yet reject the very core of it. John draws that out here, and let's get into it uh, uh, without any further ado. In verse 9, he says, The true light which lightens everyone was coming into the world. He is that light. Again, it's a direct reference back to Genesis, where God said, let there be light. John is using the language of Genesis 1 to say, this, this person who has come is the one that gives light to everything. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah's prophecy, where Isaiah 60, God says to His people, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It's interesting that he doesn't say the Messiah is coming, or that Jesus is coming. He says light is coming, which embraces so much, because light is so fundamental to us, isn't it? Where would we be without light? Nothing would grow. We couldn't see anything. We couldn't do anything. Light is absolutely fundamental to living itself. And it's for that reason that Isaiah says, your light is coming. He doesn't just say Messiah is coming. Well, with, with Messiah, you could, it's perhaps open to all different applications and interpretations. Even Jesus knew that His people, the people of His day, would get the word mixed up. That they would have all sorts of different ways of interpreting what is the, who is the Christ. What is He coming to do? So, Isaiah says, your light has come. And so you would immediately say, I know, okay, you're speaking my language now. I know what light, how fundamental light is to life itself. And John is saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. 
He gives light to all that we see and know. Without Him there is no knowing. He makes known to us God Himself. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. This is John's whole light motif coming in here. Casting light upon everything, even upon who God is. And there are many people in the world living in ignorance of who God is. Who is God? What is God? Is God just my friend who is just a little higher than myself? Who is God? Well, John says that Jesus sheds light. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side. What a, what a testimony to who Jesus is. Look at what he says. The only God who is at the Father's side. There is, verse 1, the Word was with God. He has made Him known. He has shown us the holiness of the Father. And nowhere do we see how holy and pure the Father is apart from the cross where Jesus died. It is there where we say, this is how pure and holy God is that He required the death of His Son before He could forgive sin. There's no way that God could forgive your sin and my sin. He cannot compromise on any of that, friends. And the only way He could deal with your wrongs and my wrongs was putting His own Son on the cross. Nothing less would satisfy. And so through Jesus, we see the, the holiness of God. But in the very same act, this is the marvel of our faith, in the very same act we see the love of God. Jesus, more than anyone, manifests the love of God. And Jesus Himself says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So He is the, he is the true light that lightens everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He is the God that brings light. He is the God that creates all that there is. And what John is trying to do here, friends, that we cannot miss, is drive home to us the amazing nature of what has taken place. That the very Creator of the world came into the world that He made. He who was outside of space, outside of time, He who is the Creator of time, the Creator of light, Creator of all that there is, entered into His creation. And we, we, we can't miss how amazing, heart-stopping that truly is. But John is wanting us to see more than simply Jesus as Creator. His point is that He was in the world. In, in other words, He was personally present in the world. 
in every way as we are, eating, drinking, sleeping, working, fellowshipping with the people around him. He was in the world. Tired, thirsty, bleeding, dying. He was in the world. Testifying to the Father in the world. And to the world. The world was made through Him. And yet the world did not know Him. That's the that's the that's the 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 uh, punchline, as uh, for lack of a better word, that John is trying to get at. The world did not know him. And he goes on, and to emphasize here, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. He, he's, he's intensifying the staggering nature of this rejection. He comes into a world, into a, in, into a place that he himself had created. And again, our attention is drawn back to the first chapter of Genesis, where God... Uh, 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 brings light into being. The land and the sea, the water, the animals, the plants, all that there is. And he speaks over it. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And the world into which he comes is a world that is bent on rejecting him. And this is intensified here. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In other words, there is a, a unique relationship that God had with his people over and above the other people of the world. Over and above everything else that God had created. We know what it is to be out and about traveling. You might be in an airport or something and People don't know who you are and perhaps don't care who you are. They're looking through you. All they want to do is get to the end of the line. They, they, just, they, they don't care about who you are. And you feel that. You feel, I am a stranger in this big crowd. But then you get home. And your family are there to welcome you. Ask, how was your trip? We're glad you made it safely. We were praying for you. Uh, you know, did you get the, that thing that I sent you? And all these sorts of things. They, they care. They have a, an interest. And so you, there's a, a marked difference in walking through that big airport and then coming home and feeling, okay, while out there I, I, I experienced indifference and maybe rejection and maybe hostility, depending on the airport you were in, uh, but I'm now home. But for John is saying, for Jesus, even that was not the case. He came home to his own people. He was as much a Jew, an Israelite, as they were. As David was, and as Solomon was, and as Mary and Joseph were. A 
That's what Hebrews says when it says he was made like unto his brethren in every way. It wasn't like Jesus was part human and part God. The ancient creed says he was true God and true man. And so yet he comes to the place where he should have been received. Where they were being prepared to receive him. And they not only did not know Him, they rejected Him and crucified Him. This is what John is saying here. He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. God was preparing them. Moses said there would be a prophet who would come. And we see that here, don't we? They they were asking John the Baptist, are you that prophet who was to come? John says, I'm not. Are you Elijah? In other words, we're expecting some people. That was the idea. God had said through Isaiah 53 that there would be a servant come who had no sin of his own who would bear the sins of his people. That he would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. God said, I myself will come and I will shepherd my people. God told David that he would raise up someone from his own flesh to sit on his throne. The scribes said to Herod that the Messiah was coming and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Centuries before Jesus was born there, they said, oh yeah, well, we expect he's going to be born in Bethlehem because this is what the prophet Micah says. But you, O Bethlehem, though you are least among the tribes of Judah, from you shall come one who will rule my people, whose going forth has been from everlasting. He came to His own people. A people who were to be prepared, ready, as Simeon and Anna were looking. They were prepared. They were ready. So that when Simeon died, he said, I can die in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all nations, not just the Jews. He came to His own. His own personal people. His nation. His family. tells us in John 7 that even his brothers didn't believe on him. In Mark's Gospel, it tells us that they, they thought he was out of his mind because he was, he was preaching for a, a, a long periods of time. He was going without food and he was, he was doing the work of God, his Father. And They came to take him away and to, to talk some sense into him. They felt he was out of his mind. Well, of course, even that was prophesied in the Psalms. In Psalm 69, he says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. This was true in every dimension of Jesus' life. Right from, as you know, his birth in Bethlehem where his mother and father come and uh, they are looking for a, a place to stay and there's no room and to stay in the, any of the inns there 
And he has to be brought forth in a stable. A feeding trough. Not long after, he has, he, his parents have to flee with him into Egypt to flee the madness of King Herod who wants to destroy all the children under two to get at the one. To get at this king whom the wise men say they've come looking for. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Till it came to a consummate point at the end of his life, when all of his disciples left him, all fled and left him alone. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. This is the staggering thing, friends. In fact, God says in Isaiah, the first chapter, He calls the the stars and the moon to bear witness to what's going on among His own people. Think of the universe. Think of the billions of galaxies. Think of the unbelievable discoveries yet to be discovered out there. And God says to all of those galaxies and stars and planets that He created, He says, you want to see something amazing? Do you want to see something shocking? that goes beyond the shocking nature of your vastness and glory. Come with me and I will show you a people whose hearts are so hard that they reject the very One who created all of you. All of you stars, which He calls out by name and number. Come and I will show you something truly, truly shocking and amazing. This is what he says. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. And the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. You see the effect that God is trying to create there? As He calls the stars and the heavens to witness these unspeakably glorious objects, He says, you haven't seen anything. I'll show you something shocking that will make your hair stand on edge. Come with me. Look at My people. I've been preparing them. I've given them everything. They had the Gospel week after week after week. They were brought up in a Christian home. They had their parents and their grandparents witness to them and pray for them. Give them books and literature. Encourage them. But the more they heard, the more hard they became. Their own Creator came and died on a cross to save them, to redeem them. And they sit week after week after week. Hear, O heavens! Bear witness, O earth! Have you seen such a thing as this? It's not just the Jews, you see. It's not just the people of Isaiah's day. It's many people who sit in churches week after week, who come to Christmas services 
who have been hearing again and again and again the good news of the Gospel, hearing God through His servants plead with them, be reconciled unto God, for He who knew no sin, He who was the spotless Lamb of God, God has made Him to be sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. And you hear that week after week, and what do you do with it? That's why it becomes shocking. That's why God, God's not using hyperbole here when He calls the heavens and the earth to witness. He's not exaggerating. He's not just being poetic. He's truly trying to create a sense of astonishment within the minds of people that they could come and hear of such love. They could hear of a God who is so just and so holy that He must crucify His own Son to satisfy His justice. But yet He is a God so loving that He would do that. And what do you do? What are you doing this morning? What do you do? Not every Christmas, but every week that goes by. He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. But verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul says it's not as though God's Word has failed. I mean, God with all that is in Him lays these things out before us. He leaves no stone unturned in warning us and showing us the lengths to which He went. Showing us, testifying to the hardness of the human heart that it would reject the eternal welfare of its own soul to maintain sin in one's life. We're not to doubt the love of God and the passion of God. We see it in the tears of Jesus as He wet, weeps over Jerusalem. As He is defined, as I said, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But we are not to think of a God who is losing the game. But to all who did receive Him. This puts the world in two groups of people. Not black and white, male, female, young, old, North American, European, whatever it is. Puts people in two groups in terms of those who do not receive and those who do receive. But to all who did receive them. What a beautiful picture to receive someone. Receive them into your home. You hear the knock on the door. You, you receive them. You bring them in. Can I offer you a cup of tea? Come and have sit in the best seat here. And if you're at our house, you'd say, I'll put the dog away in another room so he's not biting you or nipping at you or whatever. That, what, you show your hospitality in your own way. But to receive someone is to honor them. 
And when we receive Jesus, we honor Him. Not with cups of tea, obviously, but but honoring Him for who He is. And John defines that, what it is to receive Him. Who believe in His name. In other words, he's saying, that is, by that I mean, to believe in His name. That's how you receive Jesus. Well, what is His name? How do you believe in His name? What did the angel say? You shall call His name Jesus. His name, Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And when you realize that you are a sinner, that you're hopeless and helpless and without any uh, hope in this world, and yet you come and you see the fullness of God's love toward you and the provision that He has made for you in Christ, and you accept that, you receive that, you are doing exactly what John says here to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. Acknowledging who Jesus is as our prophet, as our priest, as our king. We believe in Him as our prophet, the one that the Pharisees were kind of digging away at. Are you that prophet? Well, Jesus is that prophet. Yes, He is. When we believe His Word, when we believe His testimony, we receive Him as our prophet. When we acknowledge ourselves to be sinners and receive His gift of cleansing through His precious blood, we believe in Him as our priest. When we submit our lives to Him as our Lord, we trust in Him as King. Prophet, priest, and King. That's what it is to believe on Jesus today. And all those elements are there in the birth of Jesus. Where is He, says these foreigners, who is born King of the Jews? And they come with gold and frankincense and myrrh. They come with things that speak of His kingly, regal nature. And they come with things that speak of His ultimate death and demise on the cross. To all who believe, What a simple word, and yet so hard for people to do, to believe, to rest. He gave the right to become the children of God. This is what it means that when you come to Jesus by faith and receive all that He has, you become a child of God. You become a child of God. That goes against the modern narrative to say that we're all children of God. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very specific in that though God made us all, we are not all children of God in that sense. We become the children of God here. Notice that word, become. You are a different person. You are changed. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How does this happen? How does this change happen where you go from someone who has been rejecting all of this time 
And maybe you, if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe you say, I, I fit, you know what, I fit into that category. The former category that was just described. How, how then, if, if this is what the Bible says, do I find myself in the, the other category of those who did receive Him? And John says it comes from God. It's the miracle of Christmas. In other words, the same way in which the Son of God became a human being in the womb of the Virgin Mary, so too you and I become the children of God. Listen to what the, the angel said to Mary when she said, How can these things be? The Holy Spirit, He said, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do we sit around with a sense of fatalism and say, I guess I'm not that way and I'll just wait until I do. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Call upon the Lord while He is near. Call upon Him. Don't be satisfied with your state of indifference. Say to yourselves, if this be true, then God help me. I must come to a true understanding of this. I must seek it out at least. I can't be indifferent to it. So I say to you, O God, who raises the dead, who gives the Spirit, who has made promises that whoever comes unto you, you will no wise cast out, I ask you, to give me a new heart. Open my eyes that I may see. It's, it comes from God. Alone. That's why he says, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not hereditary, in other words. It doesn't come because you were brought up in a Christian home. It's not done by self-effort. You can't work yourself into it through education. And by rearranging your life in such a way as to make yourself acceptable to God. That's at the end of the day, flesh. Flesh, flesh, flesh. And John says, no, no, no. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. No, no, no. But of God. That's what will make you endure to the very end. That's what will make your, your salvation secure. Because it's of God. If it's of you, it won't last. You won't last any time. As John MacArthur has famously said, if I could lose my salvation, I would. If it's possible for me to lose my I definitely would. John says here, it is of God. It is to God we must go. And he gives us a clear indication here without any ambiguity that we are entering into something that is nothing less than the miracle of Christmas itself. How could the Son of God become incarnate as a, ch a person in this world by the power of God. And it's that same miracle that takes place when we 
when our eyes are opened to say, all this person whom I've been rejecting all these years and taking for granted every time I came to Disable Free Church and casting him off for my own good morality, I now see him in all his blazing glory and holiness and love. And I despise myself, abhor myself in dust and ashes. And I see that I am nothing and I can do nothing. And that truly, Jesus is God's inexpressible gift. That His Holy Spirit's work in your life is God's great inexpressible gift as well. You can't have one without the other. All working together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I ask you this morning, in terms of how John has outlined this, and this is just the prologue. This is just the introduction. This is just the preview. There's a whole Gospel that we went through a few years ago that will unfold that to you even more clearly. But please ask yourself that question before another, not just another Christmas goes by, but for another moment goes by. Where am I? Where do I stand with this God? With Christ? Where do I stand with the Word made flesh? Where do I stand with the manifestation of God's greatest gift of love to me? Will I continue to be as those who, who do not receive Him or reject Him? Or those who believe on His name as Savior and Lord and trust in Him forever? Let's pray.